Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross, and I, I trust that will continue to be your uh, prayer as we talk through this passage this morning and as we, we leave here in a, a little bit. Uh, it's good to be back here, be, being able to be at the, the pulpit or the music stand and uh, sharing God's Word with you. It's been a good last two weeks for us and our family, some hard things, but some good things too, and we were able to uh, drop our oldest, Hannah, off at, at school, and that went well, so thanks for those of you who've asked about that and prayed for us in that. It's exciting to see uh, God doing some neat things through that uh, relationship with her, and we're excited for, for that phase of her life, and that, that outweighs a lot of the, the sadness, as, as you know, that is sometimes felt in those things, so thanks for asking about that, and we were last week able to be with uh, our uh, friends at Newcastle, and uh, you know you enjoyed having Kevin here. It's great to see what God is doing in and through that church. Uh, this morning, as we come to the end of our service, we're going to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, communion. And so I would encourage you to be thinking about that. Uh, communion at our church, the Lord's table is open to all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. You do not have to be a a member of Bethany Community to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. We do encourage you to be a part of a local church. It's what that's the Lord's Supper is, a, a church, a, a body, uh, proclaiming its common faith in the Lord Jesus. And so we, we'd ask you to, to, uh, to join us in that if you're a believer later in our, our service and be thinking about that now, even now, preparing your hearts. Well, Lord willing, uh, this morning we're going to finish our study of Galatians. We began it, the I think it was the first week of August last year, and so we're a year and a couple weeks into this. And next week, again, if the Lord allows, we're going to begin looking at an overview of the books Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And as we look at those books, we're going to see the, kind of the, the main theme of, of longing for a king and his kingdom. We see, as you close the Pentateuch, we see God's made these promises. He's brought his people to the, to, the, to the edge of the fulfillment of them. And now in Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you see that kind of transition from, from the exodus into entering into the land and then preparation for the king. And so we're going to be able to kind of spend, I always get nervous saying this, about a year looking at an overview of those books. And I'm going to be kind of giving you, hopefully each week, hey, this is what we're going to be studying next week. So next week, we'll look at the first chapter of Joshua and encourage you to be reading through some of those chapters uh, with your friends or family or maybe your care group, and that's what we're going to be looking at next week as we look at a longing for a king and his kingdom. But today, again, we're finishing up Galatians. And let me just kind of remind you where we are. We're here at the end of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 6. And, and remember what our main theme of Galatians is, right? It's there behind us. It's or behind me, in front of you. Uh, finding freedom in the true gospel. Finding freedom in the true gospel. That's the main thing we've been looking at as we've gone through the book of Galatians. And remember what has happened Paul, on his first missionary journey, if you're in Sunday school this morning, Paul, uh, Paul's first missionary journey was talked about by, by Dave, but um, in Paul's first missionary journey, he goes into this, this region and he proclaims the gospel, and people believe the gospel, and 
Paul begins to establish churches. Some of these churches are made up of, of Gentiles. These are not people who are Jewish and then place their faith in Jesus Christ. These are people who are Gentiles. They hear Paul talk about the Messiah. They believe what Paul is saying. Perhaps they've been exposed to the, 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 the Old Testament teachings before. They, they hear about Jesus and how he's the fulfillment of those teachings. They place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Paul leaves the region. He comes back and he establishes elders. And then these churches are going and then he leaves. And then some other people come into the region and they begin to, to teach these believers, look, if you really want to have a right relationship with God, you need to become more Jewish. So Paul talked to you about Jesus, and Paul was right. Jesus is the one that was prophesied in these Jewish scriptures. But now, look what else is in these Jewish scriptures. You need to live under the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to, to eat these certain foods and not eat these other foods. In other words, there's these, these legalists, these Judaizers saying, this is how you have to live. You want to continue in the Christian faith. You need to become Jewish. And they're adding these, these rules and requirements to the faith. In other words, Christ is no longer seen as sufficient. And Paul, as he hears that this message is being proclaimed to these churches, he writes, he writes this letter, the letter of Galatians. And remember, there's kind of three main sections that we've looked at together. There's the source of the true gospel. He says, look, this is the gospel I preached to you. Here's where I got it. It comes from God himself. And then in the next two chapters, chapters 3 and 4, he talks about the content of the true gospel. Okay, here's, here's how we understand the law, and here's why the law no longer applies to you in terms of needing to live under it. Here's how Christ has fulfilled the law. Here's why works will not be helpful for you in, in continuing in the Christian life. Here's why they'll, they'll be detrimental to you. And then we come to the last two chapters, chapters 5 and 6. In chapters 5 and 6, Paul talks about the freedom of the true gospel. And this is, this is where it really gets exciting, right? The others are exciting too. This is kind of where it all kind of comes together. And he says, look, now here's, here's how you live. Here's how you Here's how you fight the flesh. You don't fight the flesh with rules and regulations, but here's how you live in the Spirit. And last week, or three weeks ago now, I guess, we talked about flesh-driven ministry, and this, this morning we're looking at cross-driven ministry. And Paul, as he concludes his, his letter, he says, look, here's how, you live, here's how you live for God's glory. And he contrasts his opponent's ministry with his ministry. And three weeks ago, we saw that his opponent's ministry is driven by the flesh. They want to boast in the works that they're able to do. They want to boast in the ministry that they're able to have in the lives of the Galatians. And Paul says, look, as we've already sung this morning, as Mike talked about, look, I'm just going to boast in the cross. And it's in that boasting in the cross that we find freedom. And as we come to the end of Galatians this morning, my, my hope is that you would walk away from this study with a great sense of God's freedom in your life. And remember, freedom doesn't mean restraint from any sort of obligation whatsoever, but freedom means I'm no longer enslaved by my sin, I'm no longer enslaved to the flesh, I'm no longer enslaved to all those things that would present, prevent me from pursuing 
joy. I now have the ability and the desire to pursue those things that are going to bring me joy. I have what? Freedom. So if you would, stand with me. And I'm going to begin in verse 11 where Paul talks about his opponents and and their flesh-driven ministry, what they boast in. And then we're going to look at verses 14 through 18. That's that's where we are this morning. And we're going to see the the cross-driven ministry, how these things are different. So Paul concludes, beginning in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. And now he begins to talk about the cross-driven ministry, his ministry. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You may be seated. And Father, we do thank you for this this letter you've written to us, to those who are part of your church, and we pray this morning that we would experience the freedom that we have through our union with your son Jesus, and we pray this in his name, amen. I think there are two times in my life where I've, I've lost every digital piece of data that I own. Uh, the, the first was in college, and I, I can't remember the exact details of the circumstance, but I can remember the, the, the feeling that I got very well. I think I was working on a paper and turned on the, the computer, and the computer just kind of said, nope, and it was, it was done, you know, and I just can remember that. That, that feeling in my, in my stomach, like, oh no, I, I've lost it all. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that as well. A few years after that, I was, I was in seminary and I was working on a paper, I think for the book of Daniel. I was supposed to turn in a paper in just a few hours and the, 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 same, I, the same thing happened. Just the, the computer said, goodbye, and it meant goodbye like I'm done, no more. And uh, then I, I said, I learned from my mistakes. I'm like, it's okay. I have an external hard drive. I've backed all this information up. And, and then I, I plugged the external hard drive into a, another computer, and it just kind of went, and just kind of, and then it blew up or something. I mean, just, it was dead. Right? And that, that feeling, you, you've experienced the feeling, right? That, that, that feeling of, oh, no, I have lost, I've lost everything. I, it, it's all gone read an article this past week or two weeks ago about a woman who had lost all of her digital photographs. She was in her 30s and she, you know, in her 20s had started taking pictures of life and you know, she had pictures of her uh, college years, of her backpacking trips in Europe, of all her family gatherings from her 20s, of her wedding, 
uh, all the pictures of her husband who had passed just a short time after their wedding. And it was, it was all in this, this digital world that she had saved and had backed up on the cloud. And then she accidentally deleted it, didn't realize that she had deleted it. And then a few months later, tried to find all these photos and they were gone. Just disappeared. She talks about how her grandmother had always taken her photographs, her old photographs, and put them in a shoebox and put the shoebox by the front door just in case if there were a fire, she could, as, she, as she ran out the door, she could grab the photographs and, and preserve the family memories. And this woman writing the article says, I, I had lived the experience that my grandmother had dreaded most as, as all my photographs had, had done the digital equipment, the digital equivalent of going up in ash, right? It's, it's a terrible feeling. There's a spiritual equivalent, and, and Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 of, of the foundation that God has laid. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, now I've, I've built on that foundation. And then he talks about how the church has the ability, those of us who are part of the church have the ability to build upon this foundation that is Jesus, that is Jesus Christ with our works. And he says we can build with gold, silver, precious stones, so we can build upon this foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with things that are of value, or he says, we can build on that foundation with wood, with hay, with straw, with, with things that are, are worthless, and whenever the fire tests them, will be burned up. Listen to what he writes. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with, by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Now, what a tragedy, what a tragedy it would be to see our lives go up in smoke someday. I think we can all agree with that. To see the things that we've spent our, our time, the things that our hearts have been passionate about, to, to see all those things just poof, gone, as God tests them, to see if they're, they're things that were of eternal value. That, that school report that I spent months preparing didn't do it for the glory of God I did in the flesh, poof, it's gone. That, that academic record that I was so proud of, gone, obliterated. It had no eternal value. I invested so much time in it, but it, it meant nothing in eternity because I did it in the flesh. That, that car that I dreamed of owning, that, that boat that I yearned for for so many years and saved up for, that, that retirement that I spent decades preparing for and amassed all this, this, this wealth so that I could enjoy to the fullest, to, to find out that all of that that I was so passionate about now means nothing. To see it all just poof, go up in smoke, that is a tragedy, right? Can, can you think of anything more tragic than that? I think I can. What about this? 
What about a scenario where I, I realize that these things that I've been pursuing are fleshly things? And so I tell myself, okay, I'm, I'm not going to pursue those things. Instead, I'm going to pursue things that are of eternal value. I'm going to pursue friends. I'm going to pursue family for, for the glory. I'm, I'm going to pursue these things. I'm going to pursue ministry. I'm going to listen to Dave in first, uh, first hour Sunday school, and I, I'm going to become a missionary. I'm going to serve in the nursery. I'm going to serve in children's ministry. I'm going to do these things that are good things to do. I'm not going to waste my time on worthless things. I'm going to do these, these ministries. Now, how tragic would it be to invest all of our time now in these things, but still to do it in the flesh and someday find those things worthless? To get no credit for nursery duty, that's a tragedy. I mean, last week, this last week, some cool things happened in our church. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. And just several examples. i give one example. Seven children were kept out of the foster care system because five families stepped up and said, we're going to provide a home for these kids. Now, that, that's awesome. In fact, technically it was six families, but, you know, six family had to adopt instead. You know, so that's that's, that's amazing, right? Now, how tragic would it be for us as a church to, be, to say that's so, that's so exciting and then someday to find out none of it mattered at all because it wasn't done for the glory of God. It was done in the flesh. It's a real danger. And so we look at this passage here in Galatians and we see what Paul has to say about cross-driven ministry. Not ministry driven by our flesh, but ministry driven by the, by the cross. And here's the main idea that I want you to, to think about with me. By God's grace, we are now free. So we're in this last section of Galatians talking about freedom. By God's grace, we are now free to engage in ministry not driven by our flesh, not ministry that proclaims our flesh, but ministry that proclaims the cross. By God's grace, you, now, you and I have now been freed to engage in ministry that proclaims the cross of Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I are now free to engage in lasting ministry. Ministry that is not only influential today, but ministry that has impact on into eternity. So let's look at five characteristics of cross-driven ministry. We're going to look at the first two more closely than the, the last three, so don't get nervous. Um, but let's look at five characteristics from this last paragraph in the book of Galatians about cross-driven ministry. Number one, cross-driven ministry is free from enslavement to the world's desires and demands. Cross-driven ministry is free from enslavement to the world's desires and demands. And look at verse 14 and notice a contrast. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So you see that there's a contrast there, right? Paul is contrasting the ministry of his opponents with the ministry in which he has been engaged in. Now, what is 
the ministry that his opponents have been engaged in? What is it characterized by? And you can look at verses 11 through 13 and see some things about that ministry. So, for example, in verse 12, he says, They're those, my opponents are those who want to make a good showing in the, in the flesh. They, they want you to be circumcised. They would force you, in fact, to be circumcised. And they, they don't keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So Paul has these opponents, and these opponents are interested in engaging in a ministry. So if you looked at these guys, you wouldn't say that they're people who are driven necessarily by, it wouldn't seem like they're driven by greed or driven by uh, desires for, for worldly wealth and things like that. And yet, These people, Paul's opponents, want to engage in a type of ministry that others will look at and give approval of that ministry. In other words, these opponents want the world and its standards to find what they're doing worthy of praise. They want the Jews to look at their ministry and say, yeah, that's, that's not too bad. They want to find success on worldly terms, even though they think that they're doing spiritual things. That's Paul's opponents. They're still driven by the flesh, even as they engage in what looks like spiritual things. Paul says, my ministry is is different. I'm not going to boast in the flesh. I'm not going to boast in those things the flesh would boast in. I'm going to boast in the cross. Now, why would he say I'm going to boast in the cross? Paul's audience would have found that a very strange thing to say. The the cross was not something to boast in. The cross was a shameful thing. In fact, for Paul's audience, these these Gentiles wouldn't even use the word cross in polite company. They used kind of a euphemism. They would say like the unlucky tree. They, They didn't even talk about the cross. So why would Paul say that he boasts in the cross? Listen to what he would say. Because it's at the cross that God accomplishes his work. In 2 Corinthians, Paul would say that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He says, for our sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him he might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul isn't boasting in something the world would take pride in, but he's boasting in something that destroys the world and its power. Look at the last part of the verse, verse 14. He says, it's, I'm boasting the cross because it's in the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So, so see what Paul is saying. I'm not going to boast in the flesh. I'm not going to boast in those those worldly things by which the world gauges success. I'm going to boast in the cross because it's the cross that destroyed my enslavement to the flesh. In other words, Paul's saying, what Paul is boasting, it could not be more opposed to the things the world boasts in. He's boasting in that which destroys the things the the world is enslaved to. There's a move that's happened in Paul's life, a move from enslavement to the things of the world to freedom from them and boasting the things that destroyed the things of the world and his enslavement to them. Now, Here's, here's the caution for us. 
It's very easy for us when we come to a recognition that the world's systems are are wrong, are not the place in which we're going to find joy. It's easy for us, potentially, to come to that recognition and to say, okay, okay, I'm no longer going to pursue the things of this world. Instead, I'm going to pursue the things of, of Christ. It's easy for us to take our flesh and, and turn it from worldly things and just baptize it and do spiritual things in a fleshly way, if that makes sense. So in other words, I'm, I'm going to pursue different things than I was pursuing before, but I'm still going to do them in the flesh because that desire to feed my flesh, to, to worship my flesh, is still so strong. So I'm not going to be pursuing the car anymore. Now I'm pursuing my family, but I'm still pursuing it in a fleshly way. I'm still living in the flesh. I'm not going to pursue that, that, that uh, corporate path. I'm going to, to give my life and devote my life to, to missions, but I'm doing it in a worldly way, in a fleshly way, and I'm still enslaved to the flesh, potentially. Listen to this, uh, this story from a, a pastor. He was a semi-prominent pastor, and he was talking about his church plant. And the, the church plant went well, and they eventually built a building. And people were really excited about the building, and there were some people who started coming to the church, and they were all excited about the building, and the pastor's feeling, oh man, we're, we're doing some great things. And then one of the families, after the building was built, one of the families came to him and said, hey, look, um, Pastor, you're still our pastor. We still want you to view us as part of your church, but just just know that, that when the weather's nice outside, you won't you won't really see us. Um, we've we spent the last couple of weeks at the lake, and uh, it's it's really nice. And you, we just you just need to know that's um, that's kind of where our, our heart is right now. But but just don't expect us to be here every Sunday. At least they said while the fish are biting and the wildflowers are in bloom. And this pastor was kind of discouraged by that, that conversation, so he went to his spiritual mentor and he said, look, this is, this is kind of what's happening. I'm actually, I'm kind of sensing this kind of in the church, and we, we had this big building program, and everyone was excited, and now things are waning a little bit. What, what should we do? And listen to, what his, listen to what his spiritual mentor said. He said, start another building program. I protested, this is him writing, he says, I protested we don't, need another building program. We need to mature as a congregation. We've had this great beginning, but it's only a beginning. We're now in a position to fill out many of the dimensions of being a church in this community. And, but this, this person insisted, the supervisor insisted, people need something tangible, something to get their hands on, a challenge, a goal. Trust me, I've been through this before. It's the American way. And this, this pastor wrote, he said, you know, I, I think that he was right at least about the American part of it. But something didn't seem right about his diagnosis. I felt an inner reluctance to embrace his counsel. This didn't sound like the voice of God to me. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like enslavement. It sounds like enslavement. You see, what, what happens oftentimes is, is we want the next big thing. We say, okay, I, I, I want something 
tangible that I can, I can point to, that my flesh can boast in as I do ministry. And, and Paul says, look, the gospel frees us from enslavement to that. But so often when someone says, hey, what's going on in your life? Or what's going on in your church? Our, our desire is to be able to say something that we know the world will say, yeah, that, that's impressive. What's going on in your church? Oh man, we got this building going on. We are doing this thing. We're, we're growing in this way and we've, we've done these things. We want to have something that we can point to that will cause other people to say, well, that, that is impressive based upon fleshly standards. Someone says, How's, how are things going in your church? You know what? We are really just learning how to, to love one another and confess sin and, and you know, we have this, this uh, desire to, to grow in community and, and hurt and, and help one another as we're hurting, and the person looks at me and says, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Different, different systems. What's going on in your life? Well, my, my children, we want to be able to see something about our kids. Well, you know, they've, they've won this award, or they are in this place, they're, they're doing these things, and, and we want to be able to, to point to, to things that will cause us to, to be able to boast in ourselves, to boast in our flesh, to boast in the people that are in our ministries. And Paul says, no, you're, you're free from that. You know, if we get to the end of the building ministry as a church, and we just have to do something bigger to excite ourselves, to top it because we were excited by the project and not Christ, what a waste, right? What a depressing enslavement. But Paul says this, he says this in Philippians 3, he talks about, I, I could have confidence in the flesh, I, I have I've been circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, a Benjamite, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But then listen to what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Savior. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him and in his death. What is that? That is freedom. Paul says, because of the gospel, I now have the ability to take all the world's demands and desires and say, rubbish. It's nothing. Take it. It's garbage. I'm not enslaved to those, those things anymore. I have Christ. Here's the next characteristic of a cross-driven ministry. A cross-driven ministry is free to pursue a ministry that God finds worthy of commendation. I'm now free to pursue a ministry that God finds worthy of, of commendation. I'm not enslaved to the world's desires and demands, do this, don't do that. I'm, I'm free from all that. that. That scorecard is gone. And now I'm free to pursue a ministry that, that God finds worthy of commendation. And listen to what Paul says in verse 15. Listen to what he writes. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything. And then he says something that you might find surprising. He says, nor uncircumcision. Now, you, you know he's been talking about how circumcision doesn't matter. And those who are trying to circumcise you are, are trying to 
pervert the gospel. In fact, remember in chapter 5, he says, look, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you, if you start down this, this path of trying to pursue righteousness on the law, it's, by the law, it's not going to be a successful path. You're going to find failure in that. But now the surprising thing he says is, look, circumcision doesn't count for anything, which you already knew, but uncircumcision doesn't either. In other words, if you make your whole ministry about, well, we're circumcised, we're not circumcised, it's, it's, it's meaningless. None of that counts for anything. He says what matters is are you part of the new creation? The circumcision question is, is worthless. In Christ Jesus, he said earlier in chapter 5, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. 1 Corinthians 7, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. It's, it's worthless. Paul's unconcerned about those things. He says, what matters? Are you part of the ministry of the new creation? Remember in chapter 2, Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. There's been this process of regeneration that God has done miraculously in our hearts. And now we, we've been crucified with Christ. We're united with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ has begun this work of regeneration in this new life. And this new creation that God has begun in us is going to be a new creation that, that continues on and out throughout the world and the cosmos. Isaiah 65, I create new heavens and, and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Isaiah 66, 22, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. None of these things, none of the, none of the things of this world, this, the, the questions that Judaizers are concerned with. None of those things matter. Paul says, look, are you part of God's new creation? That's what matters. And are you engaging in ministry, united with Christ, able to do the things that God is going to find worthy of commendation? So parents, neither circumcision matters for anything nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter in your ministry as a parent. Are my kids on a path to make $10,000 a year or $10 billion a year. I mean, the $10 billion a year would be nice, right? Give dad a little love here. But in terms of our standing before God and, and him commending us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is do my kids know and love the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter 6, he talks about us teaching our, our children the things of the Lord. And he says in verse 13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. So the question I ask myself as a parent is not, are my kids excelling as athletes? Are they excelling in their academics? Are they excelling in ways that are going to allow 
allow other people to say, Daniel, good job as a parent. I'm asking myself, am I, by God's grace, communicating to them who God is so that they can look at the gods of the land around them and reject them and fear the Lord our God? That's my passion. Athlete, not athlete. Academic, not academic. It it doesn't matter in terms of finding God's commendation. It's worthless. In my ministry as as a spouse, let's say I'm, I'm a wife, it doesn't matter in terms of my being committed by God, do I have the approval of the other women in the church or do I not have the approval of the other women in the church? Do do, do people look at me as trendy or not trendy? Do they look at me as, do I have a career or do I not have a career outside of, of the home? Those things don't, like, it's not, it's not the issue that God is most concerned with. God's approval of you is based, am I fulfilling what he has called me to do? Am I pursuing a ministry that God is going to commend? As a pastor, as an employee, as, as an employer, am I pursuing those things that God is going to find worthy of commendation? I now have the freedom to do so. There's a book I mentioned several years ago, I think, by, by D.A. Carson, and he wrote it about his dad. It's called um, Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. And it's, it's a helpful book to think about just as I read it as a pastor, but it's also a helpful book, I think, just for anybody to read, to think about any ministry that God has called them to he talks about how his dad struggled with D.A. Carson. Again, this is about his dad as a pastor. He talks about the struggles that his dad had, the struggles of feeling inadequate in the ministries that God had called him to. He says that his dad kind of labored in, in relative obscurity, which is true of most of us, right? And he felt at times like he'd accomplished nothing. He says... He kind of quotes his dad. At one time, his dad wrote, I'm discouraged, but I'm only trying to put quitting entirely out of my mind. I have to plead for grace and carry on. And D.A. Carson writes this. D.A. Carson, writing about his dad's situation, says, When I was a young man, I heard D. Martin Lloyd-Jones comment that he would not go across the street to hear himself preach. Now that I am close to the age he was when I heard him, I'm beginning to understand It's rare for me to finish a sermon without feeling somewhere between slightly discouraged and moderately depressed, that I've not preached with more unction, that I've not articulated these glorious truths more powerfully and with greater insight and so forth, but I cannot allow that to drive me to despair, rather it must drive me to a greater grasp of the simple and profound truth that we preach and visit and serve and parent and work and whatever under the gospel of grace. And God accepts us not because of our own work, but because of his Son. I must learn to accept myself not because of my successes, but because of the merits of God's Son. The ministry of a pastor, the ministry of a parent, the ministry of a friend, the ministry of a student is so open-ended that one never feels like all the possible work has been done as well as one might like. What Christians must do is constantly remember that we serve our God and maker and redeemer under the gospel of grace, Carson writes. My dad's diaries show that he understood this truth in theory and sometimes he exulted in it 
But quite frankly, his sense of failure sometimes blinded him to the glory of the gospel of freedom. Brothers and sisters, our confidence this morning as we come to the end of Galatians is not that we can, that we can just work harder and do better and do better ministry as we don't pursue the things of the world. Our hope is that we are now free to pursue a ministry that God finds worthy of commendation, not because of what resides within us ourselves, but because of our union with Christ. And by God's enabling, we can walk with Christ and work with God's enabling through Christ and His Spirit and engage in ministry that God is going to find worthy of commendation. Last few things here. Number three, a third characteristic of a cross-driven ministry. We're free to call others to find peace and mercy in Jesus Christ alone. He writes in verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So, What's promised here, it's, it's peace and it's mercy, God's peace of a fullness of restoration of relationship with God and, and his grace, a grace that you and I don't deserve. And he promises it to who? Well, he says those who walk by this rule, that the Israel of God, he's talking there about believers. And how does the promise affect us? Well, gospel proclamation. Paul had arrived there in Galatia to proclaim the gospel to these people who did not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he arrives there and he preaches a message of freedom and grace and peace. And now we have the opportunity to proclaim that message as well. Fourth thing here about a cross-driven ministry. Number four, we're free to suffer for Christ. Verse 17 Paul writes, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So we think about the people we emulate in ministry. It's, it's, it's funny sometimes the criteria we use to decide who are going to be our heroes of the faith. But as we look at Scripture, we look at the people whom God finds worthy of commendation, we find people whose lives are not usually marked by what the world would deem as, as great success. Instead, what we find over and over again are stories of, of heartache, of loss, of suffering, of, of terrible suffering. And yet, throughout it all, continued trust and sustained looking toward, toward God, toward Christ. If we were going to emulate any ministry we would want in the flesh, we'd do everything we could to avoid suffering. Here, God calls us to suffer. And the last thing I want us to look at, number five, of a cross-driven ministry. We're free, a cross-driven ministry is free to rejoice in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's free to rejoice in the grace of Christ. Verse 18, the last verse of which Paul ends his epistle. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. What does Paul want a believer to do? He wants the believer to rejoice in God's grace, not rely upon their works, not, not turn to their own ability, not try to follow some legalistic path towards sanctification. But by God's grace, he wants us to rejoice in the, in the grace that he provides for us. I'm going to invite the the men to begin making their way uh, toward uh, the elements for communion as they do. So let, let's think about this as we close.
we're in the middle of a, a building ministry. This, this last week, they came began pouring concrete and the, the footings and stuff. And if, if the Lord allows, in a little over a year, I, I don't know, in a year-ish in the fall, we're going to be standing in a, a different place for your lobby, and it, it's going to be a, a different building. Now, the building committee has, has just done an amazing job of trying to say, okay, should we use this material or that material? Should we use uh, this, this thing or that thing in order to, to build this? And, and they have thought through, okay, this, this costs this much and has this length of longevity and this floor will last for these number of years and, and so forth. So we're going to be standing on a floor in a year or so and you can ask Mike for the exact and the other building committee for the exact uh, specifications. On a floor that has a rating of 40 years or something, right? Maybe 400. I don't know. Some rating. And we're going to be on this, on this floor in this building engaging in conversations. And it's going to be exciting. I'm ex- I hope you're excited about it too. But we're going to be standing on this floor that has this rating of whatever amount of time it is, talking to human beings who are going to be around for 400 million more years and on into eternity. In other words, God in his grace is is supplying us with a ministry that we have to to build not just a a physical building as as a church, but right now Bethany Community is being called to build a spiritual building. We are called to be engaged in one another's lives and the lives of the people in our community, family, friends, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves and to others. And and the message that we proclaim is not a a legalistic message saying, look, it is time to to pull yourselves up, it's time to stop sinning, it's time to to do this and don't do that, and do this with your kids and don't do that with your kids, and do this with your family and not this with your friends. That's not the message we proclaim. We proclaim, look, by God's grace, we have freedom. And freedom means that we have the ability to pursue that which is going to bring us joy, not just today, not just in the moment, but it's going to bring us joy on into eternity. We have the ability to pursue those things, those, those materials, those spiritual building materials that last forever. As we come to the end of the book of Galatians, my prayer and as we celebrate the com- communion as, as a church, my prayer would be that God through his enabling work of his spirit, would excite us with a passion to pursue his glory through the enabling work of his son, Jesus. Let's pray, and then I'm going to ask the the men to, to pass out the elements. Father, we thank you for the incredible opportunity you've given us. We thank you that by your grace we can pursue those things that bring us joy and new glory, and we pray that we would engage in ministry in a way that does bring you glory that you would crucify the flesh with its its passions and desires, that you would allow your spirit to to reign within our hearts, that we would yield ourselves to your work. We pray now as we celebrate your communion, thinking about the work that you've done to enable us, we, we pray that you would continue to sanctify us and to set us apart for your purposes. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.